Hi, and welcome to the latest edition of the Cambridge Update, recorded on June 30th, 2020. My name is Sonia Mahadio, and I'm the Director of Investment Communications at Cambridge Global Asset Management. Today, I'm going to be sitting down with Greg Dean, Principal and Portfolio Manager, where we discuss the Cambridge Global Smaller Companies Fund. Hi, Greg. How's it going? Hey, Sonia. Happy Friday. It's going well. So I'm really excited to have the latest edition of our podcast. I wanted to focus our conversation today really around the restructure of your small cap group, but I also hear that you have some news for me. Uh, at the risk of you know boring people, just the two of us chatting every couple of weeks, I thought I would uh, I thought I'd bring a friend and a colleague. So Jordan McNamee uh, will be with us here today. Jordan, thanks for joining us today. The first question I have for you, Greg, is you recently restructured the small cap group from a sector to geographic based team a few years ago. Can you speak about what the catalyst for the change was? Well, I, I also have to maybe begin with, it's a lot harder to be having these conversations indoors uh, with this nice weather. <laughs> and uh, also now the patios are open in Toronto. <laughs> we may need to start rethinking uh, the, the forum in which we're, we're getting together to chat. But um, I digress. Getting back <laughs> to your question, you know, that was probably one of the, the big things that we'll look back. And, and, and it doesn't matter whether it's me, Dan... Um, you know, another member of Cambridge, but it, it most directly uh, impacted Dan and I, uh, the decision to to change how we approach investing global large versus small. Mm-hmm. And and it wasn't something that we just sort of did. You know, I think it was it was uh, trial and error for a while. We, we be, you know, all, all of our beginnings were in a sector specialist role at our previous firm. And so we, we saw the merits of the importance of of knowing an area well and really feeling like you have domain expertise um, before making investment recommendations. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that was why when we decided to, you know, build out a global capability at Cambridge, we, we kept the same approach. Um, but what what I learned uh, in the last, you know, 10, 10 or so years investing in small cap is, and, and I think part of this is, is just, you know, personal investment style, personal investment approach, uh, you know, investing is local. You know, you need to see it, you need to touch it, you need to feel it. I don't think it's local in the same degree, large versus small. And that's why ultimately, you know, Dan and I made the call to, to approach things differently. His group still is, you know, global sector specialist, um, smaller, smaller pond, and also um, much more global multinational when you're thinking about the types of companies. And I'm sure Jordan will touch on that because he came from the global sector specialist model within TMT for us. Uh, but you know, the real big things were, you know, for me to make investment decisions and to ultimately get comfortable allocating capital, just meeting the people, uh, seeing the business, touring the facilities, asking questions and feeling like we understood the investment opportunity, uh, as if we were based in the local city that the company was operated in. And so that was always our approach in Canada and it provided us, we think a pretty big edge, uh, investing like a local Mm -hmm. doesn't mean you have to be local. You know, we, we get on planes and. I think I stopped counting during COVID, but it, obviously the number hasn't changed. But I think, you know, when I graduated, I, I'd been to two countries, you know, Canada and the U.S. And and today I've been to close to 30 countries. So mm-hmm. um, you, you, you just you get out and you see stuff and it, it's become critical. And we all have countless examples on how it, you know, gave us incremental insight or incremental conviction. Um, and so it's just part of the DNA of how we invest. And so, you know, the decision to go local with the small cap team and regional 
um, has played out very well as, as well or better as I could have expected through this tough period. But um, yeah, definitely, definitely was a, a shift from how we had been approaching things. Got it. It totally makes a lot of sense. I've got Jordan McNamee with me today. Not with me, obviously, because we're still practicing socially, socially distancing on the team. Um, but, you know, he's been with us almost six years uh, at Cambridge. And, and for the, the first chunk of that, he was covering technology and telecom globally, all cap. And then, uh, yeah, just over a year ago, year and a half ago, he joined to, uh, to be dedicated to small cap and, and U.S. Uh, small cap at that. So it's been, it's been fun. It's been a, a great six years from shifting to looking at Microsoft, Google, Amazon, um, all the other companies that are almost like the size of a thousand small cap companies. It definitely made a lot of sense for us to focus within our respective areas and then having the geographic focus and a generalist model is, I think, more aligned with what we're trying to do within small cap. So it's been really good. Like at the end of the day, when you're doing large cap research filtering is like a lot less important because there's just not that many rocks very very different process between large cap and small cap um i want to touch a little bit more about that how has the transition been for you it's been a lot of fun when you're covering small caps and large caps in a one specific sector you end up having to do a bit of a different job for each respective area because there's just so many rocks to flip over in small cap versus large cap there isn't. So it's like, it can be challenging to be a large cap and a small cap analyst. Like it's just a more challenging job. Mm-hmm. And so by us shifting to this model, the filtering process and uh, the tempo of going through small caps and hunting for ideas in small caps is just, it's so different and when you can focus just on that, it's a lot of fun and notice the productivity just gets significantly better for the one area of focus. So it's, uh, it's definitely been, looking back, like it's a fantastic decision. Maybe I can jump in. What's been the hardest part of making that transition and maybe the thing that you've enjoyed the most? Mm-hmm. The hardest part would be going from tech focus to generalist because obviously it just increases the breadth of things that you need to learn about. So uh, that's definitely, I would say, the hardest part. It's also kind of like the, the fun part, though. So a lot of fun, or, or at least I've enjoyed it significantly. Um, and then just like having focus on like a very defined lane, which is like U.S. small caps with our very specific process for filtering and going through companies. It just really increases your your productivity and just outcomes are are better in my opinion like that has probably been the most rewarding element for me is just feeling like we're just running a machine in our respective areas and greg a question for you based on that is how do the three analysts collaborate amongst each other and how do they all add ideas to the portfolio collaboration is something that i think it's a great term and and obviously it incur we encourage it but i think it's more a lot of it has to do with the types of people you bring on Mm-hmm. Um, because you can design the role many different ways that, that encourages or fosters or even like forces collaboration, but it ultimately comes down to the people. So, uh, I'm really fortunate. Obviously Jordan's been, uh, I've been working with Jordan for a very long time. And then when we added two other members to the team, Artie Phillips back in 2019 and, and Alex Simotas, who joined us this year as, as a full time, but he was with us last year as an intern. I feel like I have a group of people that ha- has worked well together for a while and, and just having that 
familiarity and trust. It makes the, the collaboration process a little more organic. You know, oftentimes we're, we're looking at a business in Japan and Alex having uh, you know, only joined us from, from undergrad a couple months ago, you know, has significantly less experience than Jordan does. Uh, so if it's an IT service company that's based in Japan, you know, at this point, Jordan doesn't have, you know, tremendous insight into IT service in Japan, but he's looked at, you know, dozens of IT service companies elsewhere. And so he's able to, uh, we're able to leverage that and help sort of Alex get up the curve on understanding, like, just what are some of the key business drivers or what are some of the right, you know, first principle type questions to ask in a, in a management call or, or just to determine if that company is worth, worth our time. So we, we don't have like prescribed requirements in terms of collaboration, but Alex knows that Asia Pac is is the region that he's in charge of, you know, sourcing and providing ideas from. And same with Artie in Europe and Jordan in the U.S. And so because investing is local, um, as as I talked about earlier, but also global uh, from the standpoint of you can take an idea. And we've done this before. You know, we always talk about how did we find AMA Group? Well, we did a global search for collision repair centers because we'd had such phenomenal experience uh, uncovering Boyd here in, in Canada and, and said, well, where else in the world? Is there another business with a similar market structure and a growth profile with M&A potential? And so you go to Australia and you find another one. Um, mm. So the collaboration is very organic. Um, would you add anything, Jordan? Um, I think just emphasizing on the collaboration of our, our whole team kind of working towards the common goal of the Global Smaller Companies Fund is just biggest emphasis and the, the most important element, I think, is why our collaboration is so strong is that we have immense focus towards the same thing. So each person in their respective geography really cares about how each different person is doing it. It's not, it's not like siloed from the standpoint that, uh, you know, I'm off in the U.S. and I never talk with Artie and my only touch point is Greg. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're all working very much together and care about the overarching goal of the Global Smaller Companies Fund. And so we still have like a, a really strong team dynamic. Yeah. And, you know, actually, that's kind of leading into the next question that I have is how do you run? And this is the question for both um, Greg as a portfolio manager, but you, Jordan, as well as an analyst is like, how do you run a successful global smaller companies strategy while we're in a pandemic? How has that changed your conversations with management teams um, and even just working together? Jordan, maybe I'll start with you and then Greg can uh, give his thoughts afterwards. How has it changed? I wouldn't say like the core structure of what we're doing has changed in any sort of way. I guess it's increased the frequency of talking to management teams for the initial several months of when this all unfolded to better understand what the dislocations and uh, impacts will be to companies that we own as well as companies that we don't own. Um, So that was definitely a a pretty significant change. Um, But in terms of like today, it's... I would say just continuously focusing on what we're doing, which is just trying to find the uh, companies which are within our lane, strong cash generators, return on capital businesses that have strong growth opportunities for good prices. Um, I'd probably add that I agree our process. We haven't, the one thing that I, I if I'm being honest, I'd say we, we have relaxed is just the requirement to have met, you know, met on the business premise of whichever company we're looking at before investing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I can think of a few situations where we weren't able to do that. Um, but that being said, it, it isn't that many relative to how many stocks we bought, how many businesses we bought, because a lot of the companies uh, that we were able to successfully execute on in the last three or four months have been work in process for a while. And so either that work was done in the fall or last year, a recent addition to the portfolio was actually something that Jordan initiated on in 2019. 
uh, and had the chance to meet with them back when that was possible. And I, I think I talked about Delata, but it's a great example. I was in Dublin two years ago, met them, toured a number of their hotels, uh, and, and have been following management for over five years. So the, the opportunity presented in March to make that a, a holding in the fund for the first time, uh, based on price and, and the circumstances at the time, but it wasn't like we were starting from scratch. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the whole point of having a watch list. That's the whole point of sometimes covering and following a company. But just, you know, you've had to do all the work and it's un- and it's uncomfortable sometimes to, to do all that work and then not, you know, make a purchase. But you're just patient and disciplined. Another example would be like Floor and Decor. Alex actually looked at it, at it for us uh, as an intern last summer. So we screened it, you know, did the work, talked to the company. Um, you know, ultimately it became Jordan's responsibility as, as he oversees the U.S. And, uh, and it reached a level and Jordan completed the work in a timely way. So we were able to make it an investment, but it sat on our watch list for a year. So that's the type of thing that I think we've been able to leverage. If we're still working from home or remotely uh, in six months, I can, I can assure everyone that our working process isn't that big. You know, we're going to complete the things we've been working on and following and and at that point, probably need to revisit other things that we might need to tweak. But, you know, to Jordan's point, there's been no deviation from what we're looking for in a business, uh, our return hurdles, the importance of the, you know, the key drivers for us, which is always, you know, cash flow per share growth, low leverage, high insider ownership, things like that. Like none of those principles have changed. We've just had to maybe be a little more flexible with when and how we interact uh, with the companies. Mm-hmm. Jordan, I want to switch my focus to you as the U.S. small cap analyst for the team. Um, it's a question that I tend to ask Greg a lot. What are you losing sleep over these days? Mm-hmm. Work-related, really. I yeah, Netflix say... count. <laughs> <laughs> I would say just what the duration of the COVID impacts will be on the consumer is probably what I'm probably what I'd be losing sleep over the most. Um, and and I, I guess from, I'll, I'll give an example of like what I mean by that so it's, so it's more clear. Mm-hmm. Clearly, since this has happened, there's been some businesses that have had significant benefits and some that have had significant challenges. So if we look at like some companies that have had significant benefits, let's take uh, food delivery. Obviously, since people have been locked in their house, they've had to do more food delivery. And that's been a big accelerating driver for all the businesses in food delivery, like one of our positions, takeaway.com, which has been a good thing. Although this is like a pull forward, presumably, and it's all good things for this market, are we just going to give this back next year? Or is it actually a permanent acceleration in some of these markets? At the end of the day, this is why the importance of, of like our risk-reward frameworks and just making sure that we're not assuming best-case scenarios as our base case. But I'd say like that's probably an area where I'm thinking about the most. I don't want to say losing sleep. You know, is 2021, are we in 2021 just going to be talking about how all of the benefits of 2020 for some of these beneficiaries is just now kind of like a really tough comp and it was just a one-time element when the market today is kind of extrapolating that all these beneficiaries are going to be beneficiaries for a really long time. Mm-hmm. And then maybe they are. Maybe, maybe consumer behaviors change for like three years. Who knows? I, I don't know. But, uh, but I would say that's like just something that I'm thinking more about. Definitely a very good point. And so, Greg, my last question for you, um, let's close here, is is there anything that clients are missing out on that's on your radar and that you think clients should be aware of? It's a loaded question. <laughs> so many so many worries on our mind at all times. We talk about being professional worriers. 
paid to worry, but it's not a bad thing because there's always sort of a balance. You just, you want to understand the risks you're taking on when you invest in an opportunity. But the one thing I would say, and it's probably a bit of a broken record at this point, but we're, we're clearly in uncertain times. And I think that's one of the core takeaways of what Jordan's saying is we don't know if we're going to be pulling forward demand because habits have changed permanently or if humans will, you know, sort of go back to their old ways. And you've heard diverging opinions on this. There's, you know, certain employers who are saying you can work from home forever. And then you've got one of the more well-respected real estate investors in Canadian history, Bruce Flatt, who runs Brookfield saying, we think the offices will be back to what they were by the end of the year. Mm -hmm. So you could drive a truck between the spectrum of the outcomes there. But what I would say is what we can all agree on, hopefully, is that times are uncertain. We don't know exactly how things are going to unfold and for how long they're going to be dislocated. Um, but that's totally okay. And I think what we're trying to do is make sure we don't magnify that uncertainty by taking on unnecessary leverage. Mm -hmm. And I think when I look at you know, a lot of benchmarks, a lot of indices, a lot of companies in those benchmarks and indices, they have just tons of debt. And it hasn't really been an issue. In many cases, it's actually been a big positive because interest costs are so low. So they've been rewarded to borrow at lower rates and borrow more. Um, and I just I think that that's the, the thing sitting in front of all of us, probably for a lot of people personally, and, and then also in, in their portfolios and savings is just there's a lot of leverage that will uh, multiply in this uncertain environment. And, and hopefully people recognize that and are, and are taking the appropriate precautions. Excellent. Thanks so much for your thoughts on that. Jordan and Greg, I think that's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for joining me today. Jordan, a special thanks for you to be our special guest on the podcast this week. And I look forward to talking to you both in the near future. Thanks, Sonia. And it was great to have you on today, Jordan. Yeah, enjoy this. Thanks a lot. This podcast is provided as a general source of information and should not be considered personal, legal, accounting, tax, or investment advice, or construed as an endorsement or recommendation of any entity or security discussed. Investors should seek the advice of professionals prior to implementing any changes to their investment. Certain statements in this podcast are forward-looking that are predictive in nature, depend upon, or refer to future events or conditions. Forward-looking statements are subject to risks, uncertainties, and assumptions that could cause actual results to differ materially from those set forth. Although the forward-looking statements contained herein are based upon what CI Global Asset Management and the Portfolio Manager believe to be reasonable assumptions, neither CI Global Asset Management nor the Portfolio Manager can assure that actual results will be consistent with these forward-looking statements. Certain statements contained in this podcast are based in whole or in part on information provided by third parties, and CI Global Asset Management has taken reasonable steps to ensure their accuracy. Market conditions may change, which may impact the information contained in this podcast. Commissions, trailing commissions, management fees, and expenses all may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the prospectus before investing. The indicated rates of return are the historical annual compounded total returns net of fees and expenses payable by the fund, including changes in security value and reinvestment of all dividends or distributions, and do not take into account sales, redemption, distribution, or optional charges or income taxes payable by any security holder that would have reduced returns. Mutual funds are not guaranteed, their values change frequently, and past performance may not be repeated.